0: Good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? It is. I was um, uh, thinking about when you're talking this morning. You, you, over the years in ministry, it seems like um, the times when something really amazing is going to happen in church, it's like that morning everything falls apart. <laughs> so I, I always we started thinking about it, it's like when when we started feeling these little struggles starting to build. Uh, you know, it was like, okay, God, what are you wanting to show me? What are you wanting to do in my life? What do you want to do in our church? And I just believe that God has a lot for us, more than we know. And there's this spiritual battle that takes place all the time that we we don't always recognize it. Sometimes it just really comes to the surface, though. And and especially when you're called on to step in and and, uh, try to help lead a church (laughs) in worship, you know, and you're feeling like, oh, man, my life just fell apart this morning, and I'm standing here trying to help the church know God more you know, and it can be very intimidating, I would imagine. I feel that way often myself. It's like, you know, why would God call someone like me to do something like this? Well, God is God. (laughs) He says he takes the weak things to confound the wise, or the the foolish to confound the wise. There's a lot of scriptures about it um, that talk about that. So just you know, it's, it's part of it is just turning our focus to God on a Sunday morning or on a, on a weekday when we go to work and realize that we're doing ministry. We're, we're going out into our world to be with people and God has something for us to do. And there's so many things that can distract us. That person cuts us off in the roundabout or, or we slip and slide on the road or something. But God has something for us. He has, he has a word for our lives and it's just amazing. So be encouraged. You know, when, when things are tough, look up, you know, keep your eyes focused on the Lord. In fact, on one of our meetings this last week, I think it was this last week at work, uh, a guy was talking about, he says, it feels like there's just clouds over and just like to be able to see the sun again. And it's like, you know, the, the sun is still up there above the clouds. It never leaves. It never stops shining down. We just can't see it as well through the clouds. It, realizing it's there is is kind of an important thing. So, and, uh, you know, just being able to witness at work is cool. It's really cool. Well, this morning I wanted to share a passage of scripture, a couple of actually, um, and it's a fairly common passage of scripture. You probably heard it a lot when you were in Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school. It's about the Good Samaritan. People familiar with that story, the Good Samaritan. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking about it, and I was like, you know, it's, it's something we're really, really familiar with. But I think there's some, there's some elements in it that are really app- appropriate for this time in our nation things to think about related to how we treat each other how we think about each other and so in in Luke chapter 10 if you would turn in your bibles or you can open your phones to your bible passage in Luke chapter 10 verse 25 <clears throat> And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? Uh, I want to pause right there. So a lawyer is not like a lawyer that we have, in in the sense that it's uh, someone that goes to trial for you. Uh, Our country is based on the Constitution and state laws and federal laws, and our lawyers are really familiar with that. The laws that were in Israel were the the Old Testament Bible, right? It was the Pentateuch, it was the the prophets and the, the historical books. Uh, an expert in the law in Israel would have been like a, a biblical scholar for us today. So you have this biblical scholar coming to Jesus and it says to put him to the test. Have you ever had someone come up to you and you know that they're not asking a question because they sincerely want to know the answer, your opinion about it, but they're there to test you, maybe to trip you up or to trick you or to, to you know, to, for some other motive than just, hey, how's it going, you know? And so this is this is kind of how this is. This biblical scholar comes to Jesus to put him to the test and ask him a question. And so he says, he said to him, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's kind of an important question to know the answer to, right? How do you get eternal life? After this life, when you die on this planet, how do you have eternal life? And so Jesus answers and says, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And so this biblical scholar answers and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor is yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So basically love God with everything that you are, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. That was, that was the answer that this biblical scholar responded with. And Jesus said, you're correct, this is, this is the right answer. But, the, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so I, for me, this is a little bit ironic Uh, in the sense that he just skips right over the part about loving God with every part of who he is and his problem is with who's my neighbor I'm thinking so you really think you've got a handle on this thing about loving God with all of your mind and all of your strength and all of your might and everything that you are that you you have that kind of in the bag but you're not sure who your neighbor is so I'm like wow this is this biblical scholar he's he's dedicated his whole life to the Torah right he's He's focused on the, the Bible as his whole life. He's dedicated everything that he is to studying and reading about God and serving God. And, and so maybe in his own mind, he feels like that's not really the confusing part of this. But who is his neighbor? And in Leviticus, it, the, the, the scripture that he's quoting, oh, and I want to close the wrong part, but let me get to it, is Leviticus 19.17 says, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart, you may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so this passage of scripture that, that the Jewish people over time came to say, of all the, all the commandments in the Old Testament, this is the second most important. Because if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're not going to break, you know, you won't be doing idolatry. You won't be doing all these things. And then the other one is if you love your neighbors yourself, you're not going to be committing murder. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to be stealing from people. So if you do those two things, you satisfy all of the law. And it's interesting in this passage, it's, it's really, again, the, the Torah was focused on the nation of Israel. This was the law that God passed down to them. And said this is, by this you shall live. These are, these are the rules that will keep you in a good relationship with me. And, and so he talks about that, you shall not hate your fellow man, or your, your neighbor, uh, the people around you. It, it's really easy for something to come up that someone offends you, and, and that little seed of hate forms in there. It's like, I really don't like that person. I don't like that person so much that they kind of repel me, right? And And hate's a really strong word. Maybe we don't want to admit that we might have hate in our heart, but... You know, people do things, and depending on how much you respect them or like them or don't like them or don't respect them, that, that offense can become something very strong to the point that you might hate them. He goes on to say um, in there, you, you, may not, um, you don't hate your countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor. So loving your neighbor as yourself doesn't mean that you ignore the offense. It's like if someone is doing something wrong, if you really love them, you're going to warn them about the consequences of their actions. You know, if someone's, if someone's going out and they're going to be going down a trail and the trail's washed out and they, they could fall off a cliff, you might. if you love them, you tell them, hey, that's a dangerous trail, you don't want to walk out that trail. Or, or tell them right where that spot is, you're going to want to turn around at that point because you're going to want to protect them from some dangerous situation. And so, if someone's acting inappropriately, not as not the way the Bible describes it. It's appropriate for us to reprove them and say, this is not according to God's word. You're not acting in a way that is reflective of the love of Christ. It's not reflective of what God has called us to do. So loving your neighbors itself doesn't mean that I don't want to be confronted, so I'm not going to confront them. It absolutely means that if someone is walking down a path that is contrary to scriptures, that you you will actually rebuke them or confront them or or talk to them about that. That's kind of an important thing. And so loving your neighbors yourself doesn't mean doing to them what you want them to do to you, necessarily. Uh, except in the sense that I want to be respected, so I'm going to respect. It doesn't mean that my favorite color is green, and so I'm going to buy them a present that's green. Right? Because that's what I would want, is a green present. That's not what it's talking about. The, that idea is much deeper than whatever my selfish desires might be, That I'm gonna do that for them, or I might like this, this special collectible, and so I'm gonna get them this collectible. Understanding their, what they desire and what they want is part of loving your neighbors yourself. Treating them with respect, treating them with love, treating them with dignity, lifting them up and loving them. That's, that's kind of what we all want, right? And that's what the other person would want. And so um, you are not slander against your neighbor people. Um, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge, how hard is that to not hold a grudge against somebody that hurt you years and years ago and you kind of still hold on to that? And maybe some people that you might hold a grudge against, you just like them so much that it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to hold on to that because I like them so much and we have a friendship that I'm just going to let it go this time. Some, some people that you may not like as well, they do something, you could hold on to that for a really long time. And so the scripture says you shouldn't hold on to those grudges. And and so this passage is really, really focused on the nation of Israel and how they treated each other in the country of Israel. But Jesus is going to take this passage of Scripture and kind of flip it on its head. And, you know, in the Scripture, a lot of times they'll use lists to illustrate a point or bring emphasis to something. So they'll say this, and you kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then this, oh, yeah, that, that makes even more sense. And you kind of expect the next thing to fall right in line with this this progression, And all of a sudden, that third thing is just so out there that it just flips everything on its head. And you're like, I was not expecting that. That really convicts me. And so that's what you're going to see in this story of the Good Samaritan. And so, uh, th- so again, the, this lawyer wants to justify himself and ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus is going to answer that question. So Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. So we have three people here. One of them's a priest, one of them's a Levite, and one is a Samaritan. And so the priest was someone who was you know, born of the line of Aaron. It was No, actually, the priest was someone who was, who was a... Yeah, the priest was born of Aaron. It was his children. They were spe- specifically given the role of working in the temple. And so when people brought sacrifice, it was the priests, the children of Aaron, that facilitated that worship in the temple whereby people could come and be made whole. They would be cleansed of their sin. They could go back into their community. So the priest was like this specialized role. And the Levites were... Were one of the children of Jacob that God said in his inheritance you're not going to get a piece of land but you're going to get cities throughout the land and so your inheritance is me and so they were also involved in the temple worship and were set aside as as like the firstborn to God and so the Levites were this special people and you would you would think that a priest and a Levite that they would kind of be the ones that should be thoughtful towards other people that they recognize when someone's hurting, that you would do something for them. But at this time in history, the priests and Levites were kind of the elite religious people. And you might, if you were in Israel, you might think, Oh yeah, that, that kind of makes sense that they're this, this elite group that they would kind of walk around this person. But then you get to the Samaritan and the Samaritans were foreigners to Israel. You know, Back in the old days of Israel, they'd been this country that went all the way up the Mediterranean, on the east side of the Mediterranean. And then when, after Solomon's kingdom ended, the whole nation split in half. And so the southern kingdom followed the line of David. The northern kingdom had bad kings, and they, they didn't worship the Lord in Jerusalem anymore. They kind of created their own temple. Uh, eventually, the northern kingdom was destroyed by the nation of Assyria. And so the Assyrians would like intermix foreigners with foreigners so that you'd lose your national identity. You wouldn't be able to say that I'm Greek or I'm Roman or I'm Jewish or I'm this, that, or the other thing. You were just kind of mixed up, you were mixed into this this group. But they stayed in this northern area and they kind of they kind of adopted the Pentateuch, the, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy as their law. And they rejected the rest of the Old Testament. They built their own temple and then they kind of mixed some of the, the, the um, idolatry and the things that are around them into their religion. So, when a Jewish person would look at the way the Samaritans worship, they'd say, Those guys are really messed up. Not only are they not worshiping God, but they're twisting the way you worship God in a really bad way. So, they are not, they, they had a real prejudice against the Samaritans. And about 100, a little over a hundred years before Christ, the, the Jewish people went up into Samaria and destroyed their temple. They raised it to the ground. So the Samaritans and the Jewish people really don't like each other at all. Like they are really, um, it's like there's almost no one else in the world that you would despise more than a Samaritan if you were Jewish. And so here Jesus is talking about this priest and this Levite, and the person that has compassion is the Samaritan. It's like he's, he's the opposite. That'd be like saying, you know, Al Qaeda is coming down the road, and Al Qaeda was the one to stop and help the hurt person. And you're like, what? That terrorist? You know, that's that's ridiculous that this would be the case. And here we have this, you know, this this pastor of the mega church comes walking by and skips by the ch- the guy on the ground, and then this other the missionary goes by the guy on the ground, and then Al Qaeda walks by. It's like this is not how the this is not how this works. That's how flipped over this would have felt to the Jewish people, that a Samaritan would be the one to stop. And not only does he stop and have compassion, but it goes on to say that he, uh, he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn, took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, that'd be two days' wages, and gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. So this guy went way beyond just helping him, but he actually took care of his, his real needs for a long time. You know, and, and it would have been inconvenient for this guy. He talks about, I mean, he's going on this journey. Have you ever been traveling before and you're going on this long trip and all of a sudden something stops you, like in the middle of your trip, and you just want to get past it? Well, that's kind of like what this would be. It'd be like a road bump on your trip that, oh man, here's this hurt guy. I really want to get to this next town by this time of day. And if I stop and help this person, it's going to put me off of my schedule. And I might, you know, and it's just like, you know, it's just going to be this cascading impact on your life if you stop. But you know what's the right thing to do. That's kind of what this Samaritan was facing. He stopped his whole life to help this man. And so then Jesus will now take this in verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And so the, the lawyer has to say, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. And so who is your neighbor? What is the essence of what, what is a neighbor? Is it the people that live around you? And, and Jesus is going to say, it's, it's not the people that are around you. It, the neighbor is the one who is willing to help somebody else. So the neighbor isn't like proximity, but it's action. And being a neighbor is an action that you need to adopt not just something that, oh, the people around me I'm nice to, it just I like them, they're my family, they're my friends, they're, they're people I respect. The neighbor is everybody. It's all people. And so as, as I was thinking about this passage of Scripture, you know there's, there's a lot of things in our culture today where we might say, oh, I really don't like that group of people right now. Maybe they believe differently than you. Maybe they're of a different political persuasion. Maybe they're doing things that you disagree with. And it's really easy to fall into this thing that they're not my neighbor. I don't want to even interact with them because they're so opposite of my belief system. But what does Jesus call us to do? What, what kind of example does Jesus provide to us in the scripture about what it is to be a neighbor? So I'm going to flip to another passage of scripture in John chapter 1. I think, I think of all the things, when you think of the term Emmanuel, which means God with us, what greater example of of God becoming a neighbor than putting on flesh? That Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived with us and did all of those things. He, He made himself our neighbor in a very real way. Not only was he like we were a part of his family just because he created us, but he came into his creation to dwell with us to save us from our sins. And I think that's kind of an amazing thing. So in John chapter one, and starting in verse verse uh let me just start in verse one and, and skip a couple of verses but in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things came into being through him and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it um, and, and so what this is talking about is jesus was in the beginning when Jesus spoke, the worlds were created. Everything that exists today was because of the actions of Jesus. And and it, when he, and it describes him as the light that shines, that this world didn't recognize the creator for who he was. It's like, you know, it'd it almost be like you're born, but you don't recognize your parents. It's like, I don't know you guys. I don't know who you are. It's kind of like what the world was doing to Jesus. And then verse 9, it says... There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And I've always really appreciated that scripture where it says, He came to his own that own means his own family. It's like, he, it's like he came to your own house and you knocked on the door and you said, hey, I'm here, I'm here, let me in. And it says they didn't receive him. Have you ever felt like that before with close family? Where someone, maybe you're outside the door and you're trying to come in and they just totally reject you? That's what the, the world did to Jesus. It's like he spoke this world into into existence. He breathed life into people. And the ones he breathed life into totally said, we don't recognize you, we don't know you, we don't want you in our lives. And they spent a whole lot of time totally fighting against Jesus and his words. But then it goes on to say, even though you're not a part of his family, if you believe in him, he makes you a part of his family. Not born out of the flesh like a normal family relationship, but born by God. And that's, that's what it means to be born again, is that we're born one time of flesh, our parents, you know, the the mom gives birth to the child you're you're born there's a second birth that's a spiritual birth whereby we believe in jesus christ that he was born and he died on the cross for us and god gives us spiritual life and so this is a pretty amazing example of a neighbor jesus sees us in our helpless state you know that we were sinners um, we, we had fallen from you know, all of God's highest requirements. We talked about loving God with all of your heart, everything that you are, loving your neighbors as yourself. How many people live up to that standard? I don't think anyone here would say, oh yeah, I've totally got all of this. I love God with everything. I love my neighbor as myself. I'm living it perfectly every single day. None of us in this room, even Christians could say that that's the case. We needed someone to save us. We had all fallen short of God's glory, of his requirements, of his holy nature, and deserve his wrath upon us because of our sinfulness. And yet in the middle of that, he sent his son to die for us. What a neighbor is that? That's kind of a cool neighbor. I wanted to read another passage of scripture similar to this. We weren't just like the man that was beaten up, helpless on the ground. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse 10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So how does, how does God describe us before we came into relationship with him? We were enemies, we were helpless, we were godless. And yet, the God of the universe doesn't just say, I'm going to start over and flick us all away. He says, I'm going to love you, I'm going to demonstrate love towards you, I'm going to sacrifice the glory of heaven to become flesh and to to walk among you, I'm going to sacrifice my physical well-being and allow myself to be killed upon a cross. All before we were likable. Have you ever considered what that would be like if we did something like what Jesus did for us while someone was still terrible, while someone was still unlikable, while someone was still unholy and ungodly and an enemy even, that we would be willing to sacrifice our life to show them our love. That's a pretty extreme example of being a neighbor like what Jesus showed. That's pretty challenging it's, it's easy to love someone who's likable. You know, oh, they're, they're so wonderful. They've helped me, they've done all these things for me. It's easy to love them. It's a lot harder to love someone who is not like that. that. That selfish person that only wants for themselves, they're maybe proud and arrogant, even blasphemous and rude and mean. How hard is it to love that person? And yet that's what Jesus did for us, right? We weren't very likable before he knew us. We weren't very good before we came into his kingdom. In fact, the very beginning of that is that at some point, the Holy Spirit brought it into our heart that we realized we were sinners against God, that we deserved his punishment. That was, that's kind of the first thing, right? It's that we recognize that we aren't perfect, that we're not good. And then the next part of that is the Spirit shows us that Jesus Christ died for our sins. His sacrifice, his death, took our sacrifice and death. That We didn't have to go through that. He died on the cross so that we could be purified. Just like the sacrifices in the Old Testament, when they sacrificed the innocent animals, that bloodshed took away the wrath of God from the people. Jesus' bloodshed, his innocent bloodshed, took away the wrath of the people, that if we just put our faith in him, we could have eternal life. And, and that part about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, is that possible to do if you reject Jesus Christ, his gift? His gift so that you could have life? I don't think it's possible to love God all the way without knowing that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Because He's, he loved us for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might have life. That was God's love demonstrated to us, is sending His Son. And if we reject that one thing, that Jesus Christ was sent for us, we've rejected the very thing that gives us salvation. And. We've, we've not loved God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength because we've rejected him. So part of, part of all of that stuff is we're, we're looking to Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, and saying he is the one that shows us not only the love of God, but what it means to love your neighbor. And if we really truly understand the love of God for us and what that means for us, then we will also reflect that love with our neighbors. That's a a difficult thing. I have to admit that. There's a lot of people out there that I wish that this scripture didn't apply to. It'd be a lot easier just to grumble and be kind of, you know, not associate with them. But this this is not what God did. You know, he could have said, this world isn't worth it, you know, but he loved the world. And I think that's what we need to cultivate in our lives. As we follow Christ, as we walk with him, The the thing that he's daily growing in us is that fruit, the the fruit of the spirit, which the very first one is love. He's developing that in our hearts and our lives so that it's beyond our own strength to do. Because in my own person, there are people that I would love to love and there are people that I wouldn't love to love just because that's who I am. And I think each one of us probably has, there's a line in our lives where there are people on the one side that are lovable and there are people on the other side that we just assume not love. But who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, the neighbor was the one that reached out to the person in need. And if, they, if people aren't Christians and they're not lovable, they kind of have a need, right? They have a need to know the Lord. I, I think of all the potential, all the people out there, that the most hated by the world. What if someone showed them the love of Christ and they were saved? Wouldn't it have been cool if, if um, oh, what's his name? I'm forgetting the terrorist name. But Saddam Hussein or bin Laden. Yeah, if, if the first person to meet them would have been filled with the Spirit and the love of Christ had flowed and that person was like, oh, wow, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, what that would be like? That, that's kind of a something to think about. There's a lot of people out there in the world that, were terrible, and then God got a hold of their lives, they gave their heart to Jesus, and they changed the world. We changed the world. He chose us to change the world. So it's not just like big, known people that change the world, it's all of us unknown by the world. That must be close to the end of this, this sliding away. <laughs> but I, yeah, so, so that's something I've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks is, you know, I need to ask that question, who is my neighbor? And then, how does God demonstrate what it is to be a neighbor? And that's how I should live my life. That's how each of us should live our lives. So would you like to lead us in a song as we close? Turn this off. And maybe I'll pray and then let you sing a song, but Lord Jesus, I do thank you this morning for this challenging scripture, even even as familiar as it is to me that I've Heard it so many different times i know what it means it's still difficult sometimes to live out what i know that it means and so lord i i ask on behalf of this body that each of us as we lift our hearts to you you would ask that we would ask you to touch our hearts so that we would have compassion for those that don't deserve it that we would look beyond those that we like as people that we witness to but we would also recognize that the unlikable people need to know you too and that you would cause us to, to just recognize all the potential that's out there. in each person as, as good or as awful as they might be. That they are, they are your children. That you, you breathe life into their forefathers. Each person was made in your image, whether they're likable or unlikable. And that you've loved them so much that you gave your son to die for them. And that that would be the motivation for our hearts to be witnesses to them. And to love them even though it's difficult. So I pray, Lord, that this would challenge our heart this week and that we would see people like the person on the side of the road, that they just are hurt and helpless and they need you as their Savior. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.